Well, good morning, First Baptist family and friends. Uh, I can tell you today I am both honored and humbled to be with you today. I'm first honored because anytime you have a chance to preach God's Word, it is an honor. But I'm humbled today for this reason. I know that this is a great church and you are led by a great pastor. I know this, Brother Ronnie, as he mentioned on there, uh, he and his wife Angie, me and my wife Kim, we've been friends with him, as he said, almost 30 years. And here's what I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt. Brother Ronnie is the real deal. Uh, He's the real deal. He, I know, loves the Lord his God with all his heart, his soul, his mind, his strength. I know he loves his wife Angie as Christ loved the church. And I know he loves the bride of Christ, the church, and he serves faithfully. You've seen his ministry among you. In fact, here's what I want to do quickly. I want to ask you to do something for me, all right? I want you to take a moment, and I want you to either send Ronnie an email or preferably write him a little note or a card and tell him how much you appreciate his ministry. Because if you don't know this, in our day and time, being a pastor is a very hard thing. And pastors have this tendency to hear the negative more than the positive. And so would you just do me a little favor and just write him a note and say, we appreciate your ministry among us, all right? But here's what I know. I'm not here today to talk about Ronnie, all right? I'm here today to talk about the Word of God. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where you have a copy in your hand where you can turn, or if you have it on your phone, however you have it, get to 1 Corinthians 4. I will give you a little heads up, though. It's going to take me a little time to set the stage for the truth and the action that I want us to grasp But the bulk of our message is going to come from 1 Corinthians 4. So if you'll get turned there, when we get to that text, you'll be ready. Let me go ahead, though, and let me give you a heads up, a little summary of what I want you to be ready to do at the end of this message, and then we'll get into the details. I want to challenge everyone who hears this message to be an example for the world. Now, some of you will say, well, Brother Scott, being an example in what? That's an awful broad area, right? It is. And so I'm glad some of you asked. Let me give a little more specific, all right? Because I want you to be an example for the world in unity. All right? Now, that word unity is so important to us because if you haven't noticed, everywhere you look these days, you find this division. Am I the only one that's noticed or has anybody else noticed that? You've noticed it? All right, thanks, all right? Because if you haven't noticed it, I'll just be honest with you. You have been living under a rock because the vision is truly everywhere we turn. As we recognize this, let's acknowledge that for some, the vision is a little bit understandable. I mean, maybe when a Kentucky fan like me meets a Tennessee fan like some of you, there's probably going to be a little division, right? All right, maybe, all right? More so, it's understandable, though, when a believer meets an unbeliever, there's going to be a little division because we see the world so differently, right? But let me say this. I'm not here today to talk to you about those obvious divisions. I'm not here to talk with you today about the division that I see between believers and non-believers. Because what I want to speak about today and what God has put on my heart is a division that we see between believers. Because everywhere I look today, we see believers divided with one another. And not only divided, we see them combative with each other. I remember back in the late 80s and the early 90s, there became this great battle in our churches. We called it worship wars. Churches began to have these battles over what kind of worship style they should have. What I saw this battle do is split churches, destroy churches, cause people who had been close friends and co-workers in the church end even their friendships forever. 
At one point, I'll be honest with you, I thought this battle was over, but I've learned it's not. It's still going on today in the church. We're still fighting. What kind of worship are we supposed to have as we fight for the music that we want? Another area that has become a division in the church is politics. It's always kind of been under the surface a little bit, but I saw, especially back in 2016, I saw the division in politics within the church become the most evident that it had ever been. When now former President Trump ran for office, we saw uh, people say you had to be either all in with Trump or kind of all out with Trump, and there was no in-between. And what I saw happen in the church is people had their own opinions and they were adamant. And if you didn't see it their way, in their mind, you were not even Christian. And once again, I saw people leave the church. I saw friendships be destroyed as brothers and sisters, all right, who should have been united, became divided over politics and who you should vote for. Now, on the heels of 2016 election, you had COVID. And the division that was already within the church became magnified. In the church, differing opinions about how to approach COVID were evident. And I'll be honest with you, to be a pastor during during that time was to be a target for criticism. I can tell you during that time of leading through COVID that I experienced some of the most discouraging emails in all my years of ministry. As people had, again, these differing opinions of what you should do. Brothers and sisters questioned your love for God. All right, If you decided that you were going to you know, cancel the service or they said you didn't love people. All right, If you decided to have services. And they looked at that and they said, oh, what, what, what do you, what's your approach? And we became divided. Then really woven within the mix during all these things I have mentioned was a division of race. As often within the context of these other arguments was a discussion about racism and the church's role in prolonging racism in our country and how we should address it. When you put it all together, what has been experienced in the church is intensifying division and the church being weakened. Now, before going any further, let me ask again. All right, has anyone noticed this division? All right, a few of you, I don't know where the rest of you are living, all right? At least a few of you, I'm glad I'm at least not completely alone here, all right? Because it's there, all right? Hopefully by acknowledging that you too have noticed this vision, you're going to want to hear what the Scriptures say to us. And if you're not really excited to hear what I'm going to share on unity, let me give you a couple of reasons why today's message is important to you. First, let's consider the words of Jesus. In John 13, Jesus was speaking to his followers, his disciples, and he said these words beginning in verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now listen close, you ready? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now I don't think I need to explain those words, do I? Jesus looked at his disciples and said, all people, or let me use the words, the world will know you are my disciple if you have love one for another. Jesus made it plain that the world will know that we belong to Jesus if we love one another. You see, when believers are united in a world that's so crazy, it shouts to the world that you belong to the Lord, that we are driven by something different, that there is a common bond and a purpose that is greater than the issues we face in this world. Unfortunately, folks, the division we see in the churches is shouting to the world 
that we really don't belong to Jesus. Is unity then a big deal to us as believers? You tell me. Yes. That should have been a strong yes, by the way, right? It should be an important issue to us. It's essential, Jesus says to a believer. We need to hear what the Scripture says on this matter and understand we need to be unified. Now, besides the words of Jesus, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans where we read these words directed at believers in Romans 12, 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peacefully with some people. No, 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 no. All right, I got that wrong. All right, live peacefully with most people. No, I got it wrong. I'm sorry, all right? You you live peacefully with, with at least the people you can get along with, right? No, no. He says, get along with all, right? I didn't read that wrong. That's not me saying this, all right? This is the Word of God. It just told us it is all people. Here's what is clear from the Scriptures. We as believers are called to display unity in our lives. In fact, would you repeat this with me this morning? We are called to unity. Ready? Let's do it together. We are called to unity. Now, since that is our calling, we should seek unity in our lives, especially with fellow believers. In fact, I know that you as a faith family have recently made your way through the book of James. Well, let's not forget what James 1.22 said. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. You see, let's not just acknowledge that we know we are called to unity. Let's practice it because even in James 5, we were reminded to do not grumble against one another, brothers. In other words, we don't grumble against each other as believers in Christ. You see, no doubt as believers, we are called to unity and to be an example to the world in unity. But folks, we are miserably failing. No amens on that one? Okay. Maybe it's hard for some of us to accept the fact that we have division in the church. But let me quickly remind us that this is not a new phenomenon. It was a problem in the early church as well. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, and it was a church that had many problems. One of those problems was division. In fact, Paul wrote this in chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. You see, believers were arguing within the church about who they were following. Some believed that they should follow the teachings of Paul. Others believed that they should follow the teachings of a man named Apollos, who was a well-spoken and obviously smart man. Others believed they should follow the teachings of Peter, one of the original apostles. And some simply proclaimed, we should follow Christ. Paul addresses this division briefly again in chapter 3, and he blames it on the fact that the people were being immature and living in the flesh. His point was simply, if you live as a mature believer, division should not exist. The believer's common bond in Jesus should cause a unity that allows them to serve together and to be agreeable with each other, even when they don't agree on a topic. This takes us to chapter 4, where I want us to look to find a guidance on how do we deal with this division. And how, instead of being divided, we can be an example for the world in unity. You see, Paul was caught here in the middle of this division about who who you're going to follow. 
And he gives us direction that lets us know that we need to be an example by first following Jesus sincerely. Look at what he writes in chapter 4, verse 1. Finally got you there, right? That, that was the introduction. Hang on, all right? I'm just getting started. He says this, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. You see, Paul didn't want these believers to be divided. He wanted them to see things with unity. And for him, unity began by understanding who you follow. Paul made it clear the one to follow is Jesus Christ. Paul here addressed himself as well as Apollos and really all believers. So if you're a believer, this is really you. He dresses as servants of Christ. The word used here in the Greek for servant is the word hyperitis, which literally means under rowers. It described the slaves who sat in the belly and rowed the huge Roman galley ships. Paul was emphasizing the point that he was under the authority of Jesus, that he wasn't the captain of the ship, that he simply followed the orders of Jesus. Therefore, people shouldn't be fighting to follow him. They should be fighting to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. He emphasized this point by saying they were also stewards. In other words, that they didn't have anything of their own. They were simply taking care of what belonged to Jesus and that Jesus had entrusted to them. Now, why is this important? Because we have to ask, all right, who are we following? Who is our master? It's an important question to answer because even though Jesus was talking specifically about money in Luke 16, the truth still exists that no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Too many people today want to claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but not really or sincerely following Him. People want to follow Jesus because He forgives sin, and they like the idea of being forgiven. Amen? Any of y'all like that besides me? I like that, so we'll follow Jesus. We want to be forgiven. But what they forget is that to be a follower of Jesus means this, to let Him have complete control of your life. It means you are His servant, that He is the one calling the shots in your life and no other. Can I ask you all here this morning, those online, let, let me ask you, who are you following? I know many listening this morning to the message because you are in church or you've joined online specifically to hear a sermon, you might quickly want to respond that you are following Jesus. But are you really? Or, or maybe I should ask, are you following Him fully and sincerely? I, I, I want to make it clear that just because you say you follow Jesus doesn't mean you're being His servant and steward as Paul proclaimed. Because many want to proclaim Jesus and His benefits, but then follow another. Many claim to follow Jesus, but then let other voices or opinions dictate their lives. This morning, I may offend someone, but I'm going to tell you that's not my intent. What I would hope that if this applies to you, that there would be conviction because you need to know that if you are known more for the politician or political party that you follow than for being a follower of Jesus, then you are following the wrong Savior. When a person lists their political party or, or their political ideology before they list that they follow Jesus, you tell me who people are serving the most. 
All right. Go to social media. You'll see, all right, people having their profiles. Oh, I'm this or I'm that, a political party. I believe this or I follow this. And then they'll say, oh, and believer of Jesus Christ. That should never be at the end. That should always be at the beginning, right? He should be the one that we follow. Now, before some of you say too big of an amen, let me go ahead and say this, right? If you are no more for the preacher that you follow than for being a follower of Jesus, then you too have the wrong Savior. Because in our world today, this may sound silly, but it's true. People follow teachers and preachers like Piper and MacArthur and Jeremiah and Warren and Stanley and Jake and Grams and unfortunately, Olstein among others, right? And many Christians may want to claim to be following a Jesus when they're actually serving other people and their ideologies. I even will say this. Hear me clearly. You are called to honor Pastor Ronnie as your pastor and to follow his leadership in this church. But you are not called to follow Ronnie Reigns. You are called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and make sure he is the one that you're truly following. If you're following Jesus, Paul stated then that it's important that you be found faithful. Be found faithfully serving Jesus Christ. In fact, let me quickly tell you how this makes a huge difference. If you are faithfully following Jesus Christ, it means you are following His example. And what is His example? Well, Jesus said this in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And right before that, he said this to his disciples, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. Jesus' example was one of serving, which tells us if we're going to be servants of Jesus Christ, then we too must be serving. And in case you wonder what this has to do with being the example to the world in unity, I will tell you. Are you ready? When you are focused on serving people, you have less time to condemn them. So much of our division comes because we're being critical of people. But if you're truly going to serve people as Jesus did, then you cannot spend your time criticizing them. What I love about Jesus is that he could confront sin in a positive way because he spent his time loving and serving people first. Then because he had loved and served them, people listened when he taught them truth, even when it pointed out sin in their lives. Here's what we want to do in our day and time. We follow leaders who simply criticize the people they don't like or they don't agree with, and therefore it causes division. When we follow such people, hear me, we become a part of the division. They're never going to invite me back, John Mark. Therefore, let's solve our problem of division and set example for the world in unity by following Jesus sincerely and serving others as He served. Now next, we are to be the example for the world in unity by letting God's opinion be the one that matters. You know, Paul is called in the middle of this divisive debate about who people are following. Do, do you follow Paul, who is popular, or do you follow Apollos, who speaks so eloquently? By pointing out the fact that he and other leaders are simply servants of Jesus Christ, the debate should be stopped and people follow Jesus. But Paul goes on to say this in verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, but with me, listen, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul knew that even though he has pointed people to Jesus, that people still argue about which earthly leader to follow. 
Therefore, he is acknowledging that he's not going to get caught up in the debate. And, and in fact, the opinions of others do not really matter to him. In his words, it's a very small thing that he would be judged by others. What Paul acknowledged is that there are two other opinions that matter more than the opinions of what others think. It's really what's allowing me to preach this message to you this morning, all right? And here they are, his opinion of himself and the Lord's opinion. See, Paul knew his opinion of himself mattered because, obviously, he knows himself best. And isn't that scary? Isn't that scary that you know yourself the best? Because you know the good about you, but what else do you know? You know the bad that nobody else knows, right? Here's the good news for believers. Let me give you a little bit of good news, right? That if you do an honest assessment of your life and find something that is not right, that God is always waiting to forgive you if you confess your sin. That's what it tells us in 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good news, right? So we can judge ourselves and then confess to the Lord, God, here's where I'm falling short. In Paul's case, at the moment, his judgment was that he wasn't aware of anything in his life that needed to be judged. He was prayed up and confessed up at the moment. However, he says that that fact, all right, that he didn't know anything about himself at the moment didn't acquit him. In other words, it didn't make him not guilty because the opinion that really matters is the Lord's. And the Lord's opinion is perfect, right, and just. The Lord knows not only your actions perfectly, He also knows your motives perfectly. Which, honestly, it's hard to even judge our own motives sometimes, is it not? We all do well, we do well to remember that there is a judgment coming for each of us one day, and it's not the judgment of man. In Hebrews 9.27 it says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. For each one of us one day we will stand before the God of this universe, and we will give an account of our lives. We, we, we will be judged what we did right and what we did wrong. We will judge about what we believed rightly and what we believed wrongly. And it is his opinion that matters, and it's not the opinion of a person. Folks, listen, if you'll keep that in mind, you should not be held slave to the opinions of others. If you keep God's judgment in mind, you should not let your life be dictated by the opinions of those around you. In fact, let's realize there are two aspects of this that will help you live lives of unity. If you let God's opinion be the one that matters and not others, then you will not be quick to defend yourself and begin a divisive argument or take divisive action. Think about how much of the things that cause division is simply others' opinions. In the case that Paul directly dealt with, it was the opinion that some had that Paul was the one to follow, while others argued that it was Paulus you should follow, which was right. I'm just going to say it was really probably a matter of preference. It was just an opinion. Paul was saying they both served Christ, so why argue over who you're following? Paul wasn't going to let what others thought change what he was doing. Paul also set a great example in this that he didn't try to make the case that he was the better one to follow. He didn't say, oh, you need to follow me because, listen to my credentials. He didn't do that. He didn't say, follow me. Remember, he's already pointed us to Jesus rather than to Apollos or him. He wasn't going to be argumentative or divisive trying to defend himself. Too often in our world, people feel they have to defend themselves, make themselves look better, or argue their side. Can I ask something? Let me ask this. How often have you found that it really helps for you to try to argue with somebody who sees something different than you? Has, has it ever helped? 
Uh, no, all right? It, it, it doesn't, all right? It, it doesn't. You, to argue your point, it's seldom going to help. In fact, if you don't believe me, again, do this. Get back on social media and see how often someone has expressed an opinion only to have others respond. And then what ensues is this long list of arguing between those who have differing opinions. Rarely have I ever read a social media post where someone was swayed to the other side. If that's the case, can I ask you a question? Why waste so much time? Why waste the time? Why do that? Why waste the time? Why waste the energy? I would encourage you not to worry about defending yourself with others. It typically makes things worse. And hear me. If you will live as a servant of Jesus and be found faithful, anything wrong that someone says about you will be brought to light and you will have avoided much disunity which, caused, which was caused by the arguing. In fact, you might even put yourself in a place to get an apology if you conduct yourself differently than others do. Right. Now next, if you let God's opinion be the one that matters, you will save much energy that can be wasted criticizing others and arguing fruitlessly. Let me tell you one reason why you should not judge others and express opinions so readily. You are not God, and you cannot judge correctly. Right? Therefore, don't waste your time. We all need to realize that we cannot appropriately judge people's life. We can judge actions wrongly, and I believe we can judge motives wrongly. I kind of mentioned it a while ago, but as long as I live, I'll never forget what it was like pastoring during COVID and to have someone judge my actions. Like I said, some would judge me, all right, and saying, oh, you don't, you don't love people because you're holding services. Or some would look and say, you don't trust God because you're canceling services. They would judge my motive, all right, one way or another, say, this is what I believe. I, I can ultimately tell you this, ready? I'll tell you. I was ultimately trying to do what was right in God's eyes. Was it always easy to tell? Absolutely not. There's times you say, what do we do? We have no idea. We're trying to seek it, all right? But here's what people are doing, and here's my point. The point I want to make today is that people tried to judge, and they were not right. And like for any of us, when we try to judge people, any judgment will be incomplete because only God knows all things. That is why it is best that we leave judgment up to God Best that we let God's opinion be the one that matters. If God's opinion is the one that matters the most, you will be less critical of others and more repentant of your own sin. And here's my guess. We can all practice repentance a little bit more, don't you think? Why do we let the other opinion of others matter so much? Because for some reason we believe we have to have validations from others to be complete. For some reason, only if others see us as valuable, do we feel valuable. In fact, typically much of the division we see happens because somehow whatever's going on with the person we are divided against is somehow making us feel less fulfilled. God's opinion should be the one that matters, but because we let the opinion of others affect our fulfillment, we need the last thing that Paul shows us. Because you need to be the example to the world in unity by finding your fulfillment in Christ alone. If you boil everything down, what you will ultimately be left with is the fact that division really comes because we want to be the best. Right? We want to have it all. 
And when we think someone else jeopardizes our ability to be the best or, or have all that we want, we find ourselves at odds with them. We find that division creeps in. In fact, going back to your study in James, he reminded us in James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. When we are unfulfilled, we fight. We quarrel to somehow find the fulfillment we are looking for. It is interesting to me how Paul continues on after talking about how God's opinion needs to be the one that matters when he says this in verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. As Paul is criticizing those who are causing divisions by arguing that either Paul or Paulus is better, one of the big points that he is making is that we should, should not argue that anyone is better than another because God is the one who gives all of us our gifts. If Paul, or if, or if Apollos somehow was a more eloquent in his speech than Paul, then praise the Lord, because God is the one that gave him the ability to speak so eloquently. If Paul somehow had a greater boldness where he could go out and he could start churches in new areas, we praise the Lord, because it was God who gave them the gift. The point is simply this, because God is the one that gave him the gifts, all right, then, then we should be thankful for those that are used faithfully for the glory of God, not bragging about what we have or criticizing someone else. The truth extends to everything we have in life because, remember, James says this, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We should not fight or quarrel because someone has something we do not have or because someone has achieved something we have not achieved because God has been the one giving him those gifts or blessings. Now, I will say this. Paul did get a little sarcastic in verse 8. Okay? I want to point this out. It's a little sarcasm. I like Paul because he got sarcastic. I'm a little sarcastic occasionally, all right? He said, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And what would you, what, and would you, or like, let me speak, all right, let me slow down. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Again, he may be a little sarcastic here when he says, you've already become kings. But ultimately, we can see an important point that will help us find unity with others. It is a point I'm trying to make right now that you should find your fulfillment in Christ alone. Paul may have been being a little sarcastic to make his point, but what is true is this, is that if you are in Christ Jesus, you should already have all you want. Paul was wanting these, th these who were causing division to recognize that in Christ Jesus, you already have all you need, and therefore you shouldn't be fighting to get more or fighting to ha have the side that you support in charge. 
He wanted them to know that they didn't need to fight for more possessions, more prestige, or more power, and then the process hurt, hurt others because in Jesus Christ they should already be content. We should already be content. In fact, I have no doubt Paul wanted them to get to the place of contentment that he spoke about in Philippians 3 when he said this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul wanted these Corinthians to believers, and all believers, including us, everyone in this room, everyone listening online that's a believer today, to desire more of Christ and nothing else. This was his desire because he knows that if you do not find contentment in Christ... You will be fighting for more of something at the expense of others and in the process cause great division. Division even within God's church where we should be the example to the world. Paul knows this. If we don't find contentment in him or find contentment in Christ, we could get where these Corinthian believers did. Divided even in the area that should give us the greatest unity. You know, later in the book of Corinthians, Paul addresses the Corinthian division when he says this. But in the following instruction, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized when you come together. It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Paul looked at the church and he recognized that they, as they gathered together what, for what should be a great thing, what be something for their betterment, something that drew them closer to the Lord, that they actually were experiencing something that was causing them harm. Because of their division, something that should be a display of unity was instead a means of showing that some were not genuine believers. Specifically, what he was talking about in that passage was the Lord's Supper. It had become a display of the haves and the have-nots. It was division within the church. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you, can you imagine that? When these supposed believers were celebrating the thing that demonstrates our common hope in Jesus, it was instead displaying their disunity. The Lord's Supper shouts to us, you ready? That we are all sinners in need of a Savior and that one Savior is Jesus Christ. That Savior is Jesus who died for the sins of all mankind and who offers faith to all who believe. The Lord's Supper shouts to us that in Jesus we have the same need and are the same in Jesus. The Lord's Supper reminds us that no matter where you come from, no matter what your background, no matter what your income level, no matter what your academic achievement, no matter what your business prowess, no matter what matter your, 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 is your political persuasion, no matter what the color of your skin, no matter what your abilities, no matter what, that you are equal in the sight of God. You see, my prayer for First Baptist is that worship would never get to the place like it did in Corinth where it did more harm than it did good. My prayer for First Baptist would be that worship would be that time when we always gather together and we display such unity to the world. 
Are you ready? That this church would show such unity to the world that the outside world would look and say, whatever they have, we want it. Whatever they have, we want it because we see such unity. There has to be something different than what we see in the world. First Baptist, can I ask you this? Are you going to be an example to the world in unity? Why is there silence? Thank you. I, I mean, we in one voice should have shouted, yes! Yes, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be an example of unity to the world. But we said, I'll tell you why we said in silence. You ready? Because we know there's divisions here. And let me be honest, because I don't want to get Ronnie in trouble. He's not shared anything with me. In fact, when we talked about what I'm going to preach, he said, hey, I'm just coming out of James. If you want to preach out of James, that's fine. I'm getting ready to start another sermon series on, you know, you ask for it. If you want to kick that sermon series off, you can. And I said, no, Brother Ronnie, there's a message that's been on my heart for a long time, and I'm going to want to share it. Is that okay? He said, that's fine. So he did not tell me to preach this. Because this is not about First Baptist. This is about the church of God, a universal it's what I see everywhere, right? It's what I see. And so the question I have for you, because I'm preaching to you this morning, will you set the example in unity to the world? All right, great, that's better. Now here's what I know I need to do. I need to wrap up. I'm long. Forgive me, all right? I told Ronnie they'll never invite me back. It's probably never going to happen. So I know I need to close. But let's just move to a time of an invitation and let's be honest. Because now I'm speaking to the individual and I want to ask you, are you being an example for the world in unity? There are some here this morning who claim to be following Jesus sincerely, but are you really? I have no doubt in a congregation this size and with those listening online that there are some that are letting politics, a politician, a preacher a philosophy, control your life more than Jesus. If that is you, let today be the day that you come to God's altar and confess that and that Jesus become the one you truly follow sincerely and completely. Say, Lord, you're in control. Others here this morning need to let God's opinion be more important to you. All right, God's opinion, you matter the most in your life. You need to confess to God that you have let the opinion of others drive your life and because of that, you are always in some type of argument or always defending yourself. That today be the day that you, you confess that to God and save your energy and save your emotional distress by simply letting God's opinion be the one that matters. And as God speaks to you, if that brings you to the altar because there's something you need to confess, you come today and confess it because that Savior is ready to meet you right here and forgive you if you'll confess it. And the good news is there's freeing in that. Amen? Now, others today need to come because you are not fulfilled. You are divided against others because you seem to be, they seem to be standing in your way of fulfillment. You need to recognize that in Jesus, you can have all you need. You need to come and confess that you've been looking for fulfillment in other places and to begin to rest in the fulfillment that Jesus brings. Now, last, some of you listening might not be believers. If that's the case, first, I want to apologize that believers have not been a, a better example to you, the example that you need. 
Maybe, in fact, you've been hurt by believers who are divisive. Well, please don't let that taint your vision of God. I want you to know today that there is a God that you've been divided against because of sin in your life who loves you, and He loves you so much, He made a way for you to be united with Him. And that way is Jesus Christ, the Savior, who came to die in your place. And He went to the cross to pay the price for your sin. And if you'll confess your sin to God and invite Jesus into your heart today, here's what the God of the universe that you are divided against today wants to do. He wants to come live in your life, take control and say, we'll be united for now and forevermore. You can dwell in His house forever if today you'll say, Jesus, come in, take control of my life. Amen? There's some of you probably didn't need to do this this morning. So wherever you are, I want to ask this morning, okay, are you ready to be an example to the world in unity? We're going to have an invitation. And if right now you would say, there's something in my life that's keeping me from being that example, now's the time to get it right. Don't walk out of here. In fact, I will even say this. If to get it right, you need to go to a brother or sister in Christ, don't even come to the altar. Just walk to them and say, hey, we need to get this right. Because Jesus said we need to love each other and be an example to the world. Would you do that this morning? I don't know your need. But I know this. The invitation is for all of us this morning. Would you pray with me, Father, as we bow into your presence today? As always, God, I thank you for your word, which is rich. Your word that at times bring conviction that we might not necessarily like. But, Father, a word that I know that if we will follow is a word that will lead us straight to you. So this morning as we come to this time of invitation... I know, God, we are a world desperately in need of unity. And I know, Father, if this world is ever going to change, it starts with your church, your people, being united and being that example to the world. And so this morning, God, would your spirit just move in these moments? I know, Father, I'm just a mere man. And my words are nothing without you. And so, Father, in these moments, my prayer would be that your spirit would completely take control and speak to those who have listened here today. And I pray, God, if you've spoken to their heart about anything, that this morning they'd come during this invitation and get things right with you. Because I know, Lord, you're ready to meet us where we're at. And you're ready to help us live these lives of unity that we can do because, Lord, you have unified us with you. And so God, move in these moments, I pray. And may we leave here, this place, changed because we met with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have this time of invitation together. I'm going to come down front. If anyone would like to come and speak with me, I'll be glad to talk with you or pray with you. Other staff members are going to be here as well. You might be more comfortable coming to them since I'm the stranger here and there are people you know. That's fine. But if there's any need that you have in your life this morning, no matter where you are, all right? Even if you're at the top row and you need to come, you come. Whatever the need, as we sing this time of invitation together, would you just come and do business with the Lord? Let's stand as we sing this morning.